Can we talk something else? Can, can we talk about something else? Hello, out there. Life is short and the stakes are high. Some go through, but most just die. Being sorry is fine when it comes to accidents and small mistakes. A child has a fit of anger and breaks a toy a parent yells a little too loud as a result. I'm sorry, yes. Of course you're sorry, it's okay. You know, kid, we're both sorry. I even go so far as to say that being sorry is good enough most of the time, if it's heartfelt. But there's a line, right? I mean, we're talking about a parent to a child and a toy, but there's a line, right? For a sorry being good enough, this whole religious angle when it gets into territory of life and death, this angle of forgiveness, no matter what, has always rung a little hollow for me. If the apologizer is truly sorry, then the acceptor of the apology needs to be truly accepting, not just doing what they think God wants. And if you're following me here, I mean, it's a hot start. But if God, or whatever, is forgiving and wants humanity to be forgiving, then what's the fucking point of any of this? Like, no matter what we do in this life, as long as we sit down and think about it afterwards and decide we're sorry about it, then it's okay? No. It's not okay in certain situations. That way of thinking when we're talking about adult situations is flat childish. Most of what people think of life and its purpose is pretty limp-dicked and childish, in my opinion. We got a bunch of chickens running around doing what they've been told to avoid having their heads cut off most of the time as adults. But anyways, I feel it's impossible for everything to be okay as the result of an apology when you're a perpetrator who has been convicted of sadistic rape and murder. Maybe it's just me, I don't know. Because, you know, no matter what the victim family decides to say in the court, years later, no matter who steps forward after such an occurrence and says what they believe the victim would want to be said, the victim themselves is no longer here to confirm the acceptance of the apology. I'm sorry isn't good enough. When you intentionally take someone's life, it's fine when a kid breaks a toy. It's not okay when you rape and murder somebody. In my opinion, you know, war and self-defense aside, a killer for them, life ends when their victim dies. There's no sorry there. There's just the wait until they meet again, the perpetrator and the victim, in a place where there'll be no doubt there will be a judge there. We hope there will be no doubt as to the sincerity of this often empty offering of I'm sorry. You're sorry for sexually torturing and raping a child, you're sorry. It's not good enough. 
It's not fucking good enough. Welcome to Dark Topic. I'm your host, Jack Luna. This is a true crime happening. I'm sorry. Shitty people are always sorry, aren't they? And it's frustrating for some of us who have had to hear it over and over again because we are forgiving by nature. And we continue to go round and round in this dance with deviance because we can't bring ourselves to say, I don't forgive you. Because I don't believe you're sorry. Here's the thing. They're not sorry. They're manipulative. They're using your good nature against you. They're using I'm sorry to win. I'm sorry is easily weaponized. And it's simple, really. As soon as an apology is made, then it is up to the recipient to squash the whole thing. Will you accept or reject the apology? If you reject it, now you're the bad guy. What else do you want them to do? They said they were sorry. After all, in life, there needs to be consequences. Without consequence, we're all held hostage by those two words. And recently in Mississippi, on December the 14th of 2022, one man paid the ultimate price despite his unusual and powerful method of apology, his unusual way of saying, I'm sorry. He made it in the hot sun on the side of a busy Mississippi small town row. Thomas Edwin Loden Jr. grew up rough in small town Mississippi. He claimed to have suffered extreme physical, emotional, and sexual abuse all through childhood. It is said that the lasting effects haunted him in his teenage years, where he would attempt to commit suicide five times. Clearly, he was looking for the right kind of attention, help, direction at the time. Loden, after these five suicide attempts and finding none of that, he begins dreaming of becoming a Marine. And this hypes him up a bit. This has people rallying around him. And when he finishes high school in 1982, a big, strong, handsome, all-American type that's white with dark hair, that is in a tidy crew cut. He has these intelligent, piercing eyes. You know the type. He has a square jaw, clean-shaven. Loden is custom-made for the military, and it's not long before he's in uniform as a member of the United States Marine Corps. He'll have a solid career, but one that leaves him with PTSD on top of his PTSD. Following combat in Operation Desert Storm, Loden decides he'll become a recruitment officer in 1998. He's in his mid-30s and wants to get back to the service to feed it. Thomas Loden lives and breathes for the military. He likely wears his fatigues in public, maybe has some Desert Storm merch strapped to his jar-shaped head, and that's not a shot at jarheads in general. It's just that this guy really does have a head that's shaped like a coin jar. But I am alluding to a certain type of military man. It's as if every thought that forms then comes marching out of Loden's mouth is cloaked by one of the few in the proud stiff dress uniforms. If you know what I mean. You ever met a guy who introduces himself as a cop? Or I've been in the military? or jumps into the conversation and says so, and suddenly you have to turn all of the attention of the conversation towards them, that guy. 
I know a guy who's completely not like that, and that's Kent Chungus, my good friend. You talk to him about anything, and you would never find out that he was part of the military unless you asked him. <laughs> unless you gleaned it from him and maybe saw one of his tattoos. He'd never tell you. But Loden's the opposite. He's the guy that we all kind of roll our eyes at. Anyways, by the year 2000, Loden, he's a recruitment officer, and he's running an office in Vicksburg, Mississippi, living in a home with his beautiful wife and child. Thomas Loden has stayed close with his grandmother, so we can assume she wasn't the one physically or sexually assaulting him as a youth. I couldn't find out what was exactly going on there. There was little information on that whole situation, so I wanted to clear the grandmother at least. As we all know, uh, when something nefarious is going on within a large family, it's probably the grandma instigating it, and that's just a fun little joke. I wrote about systemic familial abuse. For some reason here, it's usually the uncle, right? Or the grandpa or the dad. I just thought the idea of a molesting grandmother was funny, though my friend Deadbug, if he's listening, certainly would not. So apologies to Deadbug and whomever else that that abusive grandmother joke triggered. Anyways, Loden loves his grandma. So on the afternoon of June 21st, 2002, he has a bit of time off and he kisses his family goodbye drives his green Ford kidnapper van a ways north, about four hours drive, out to visit his grandma at her farmhouse in his home county for the weekend. She's not doing well, and he wants to be around for a few days to make sure everything is all right. That's at least what he's saying. It's on the following day, a Thursday, June 22nd of 2000, loaded without his family, just hanging with grandma, uh, it's a warm summer's day that he spotted around 1 p.m. having lunch at Comer's Restaurant or Comer's. I'm going to say Comer's. Oh, fuck. Maybe I should say Comer's. I think it's Comer's. It's a greasy spoon still operating in the community of Dorsey by the looks of things. Great reviews, by the way. You see, this story, it doesn't have a whole lot to it initially. In fact, bear with me. This is what I'm going to do about it. I'm going to give you the story the way I initially understood it. And as a result, was about to walk away from it when it came to just hanging out at this restaurant for a while, not knowing really what the fuck was going on or how to say comers or comers. This is how I know it. This is how I understood it. Initially, 36-year-old Marine recruiter Thomas Eddie Loden. He's driving past Comers Restaurant at around 10.30 p.m. this summer's night in 2000, while hanging at his grandma's house taking care of her, and uh, he spots a young woman with a flat tire on the side of the road. He stops to help. The girl is 16-year-old Lisa Marie Gray. She is white with blonde hair. She has braces. She's pretty and a waitress from Cummer's Restaurant. According to Loden, he tells Lisa, quote, Don't be concerned, little lady. I'm a Marine. We engage in activities of this nature. End quote. <laughs> activities of these nature being flat tires. I mean, it's a pretty cool guy, right? Like the way that he approached her, pretty cool. And as he's starting to change the tire, Loden asks Lisa if she'd ever be interested in joining the Marines because he's a recruiter, right? Now, please keep in mind, we're going to come back here. So don't be alarmed by how quick this all happens here at 1030 at night. It's dark, just outside Cummer's Restaurant. 
with her with a flat tire and him just showing up. I'm just trying to demonstrate what minimal research and coverage can do to our perception of a case. This is the way I understood it from my minimal research. And any research anybody would have done if they were just kind of half-assed interested in what happened here. So Loden is upset by the girl's rude response. She says, mm, not really interested in being a Marine. It's actually the last thing I'd want to do. And he claims to see red as a result. And then he orders Lisa into the back of his green van and drives her out to his grandmother's farm where he rapes her for hours before strangling the 16-year-old to death. The following afternoon, Loden is found on the side of a road laying in the dirt with his shirt off. His wrists are slashed and on his chest is carved the statement, quote, I'm sorry. He's brought to a hospital and survives the sixth suicide attempt of his life and is soon arrested for the murder of Lisa Marie Gray. He apparently admits openly that he did it. And then she's found in his van and the case is basically open and shut. That's what I got from it. You know, it's like Loden lost it. He doesn't really know what happened. He just blew his stack when she disrespected the Marines because he had a buddy killed there, a couple of them, and he killed a lot of people in uh, Desert Storm. And when this girl kind of disrespects the Marines, saying, that's the last thing I'd ever want to do, he says, I just fucking lost my mind, and all I remember is having her in the van, and maybe it was even consensual. I don't know. I don't think I killed her or anything. But he did because her dead body is found in his van. Again, as I understand it, this is all that happens right there from news articles. There's no YouTube videos. And going on into this case with my research, I find that he refuses any real defense at the trial and is eventually sentenced to death. And here's what Loden had to say to Lisa's family after again apologizing. I'm sorry. Quote, I am sorry for any delay. And I hope you have some sense of justice when you leave here today. End quote. That's what he said to the family. He's done. I did it. Don't know why I did it. I was all fucked. Whatever. It's over. I'm a upstanding. You know, I'm one of the few in the proud. I can't believe I did this. Kill me. I'm sorry. He spends two decades in prison. And then recently in mid-December of 2022, 58-year-old Thomas Edwin Loden is executed via lethal injection. It goes off without a hitch. His final meal consists of pork chops, okra, and cobbler. One of his supporters, which, you know, these guys always have supporters after a while, like 20 years in prison, you get a bunch of pen pals and chicks who want to bang you for a fucking reason, take pictures of you uh, with them and put them on Instagram these days. He's got this all going, right? And, and they love him because he's so open and so apologetic. And, and uh, you know, he was really fucking abused when he was a kid. And he just had a moment of, of horrific weakness. And he's got these supporters around him. And one of them will come to reporters after his last meal. They'll smile widely and share that he ate a lot. He ate all of it. He ate as much as they can give him. And he really enjoyed the okra. Lodum will state before his death, that he spent every day since the murder doing one good deed with Lisa in mind. His last words are, I love you, in Japanese. 
So let me quote that here properly. Quote, Aishturo. Looking into that further, that use of the Japanese word for I love you, Aishturo, it's a rare word in Japanese culture, reserved only for very special occasions. Uh, they don't just throw I love yous around like we do in the West. I believe, oh, I know from research, because that's what I do. <laughs> they say something more along the lines of, I like you very much. Uh, anyways, that's what they normally say. So this is very special. Belly full of okra. He uh, throws out the Japanese term for I love you. So, you know, what a... Um, let's wrap this thing up. He's forgiven by Lisa's mother, who states she feels guilt over forgiving the man, but knows it to be the right thing to do. She also says her daughter, you know, she was a good girl, but, you know, she wasn't always that good. But, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. She was she was all over the place, but, you know, we loved her, and it's, it's horrible this happened to her. So I'm left here sitting here like fucking what is going, what the fuck? This guy raped and murdered her, he raped her over a period of time, then murdered her, and then carved I'm sorry into his chest, and they found him by the side of the road, and they spent 20 years apologizing for it, and then everyone was a little bit sad when he got the death penalty. You know, there are protests. A group opposed to the death penalty in Mississippi is out front of the prison when he's killed just last December of 2022. One woman from some fucking society of this shit is all up in arms about it, reminding everyone of Loden's service and of how he was a victim of abuse and of how he saw one of his friends die in the military and how he's been nothing but remorseful since and how the fuck can we kill somebody like this? How can we do this? And you know what? I'll stop there. I don't want to cross any lines. I don't want to blur any either. I think I've done my job here when it comes to giving you what you get when you're looking at a case to get an idea of what's going on, which is what we normally do when we read a headline or watch a short little news clip about a case. We get an idea. The guy raped and murdered a girl on the side of a road, and he was remorseful afterwards. He was good beforehand. He had a moment, something fucking happened there, and he was remorseful afterwards. Check. Like I said, after reading a few articles and not finding much on YouTube or any book to read on this case, that was the story as I understood it. And I'm not saying anyone cut any huge corners here. It's pretty bad. I mean, a young waitress was kidnapped, raped, and murdered by a seemingly upstanding Marine in a small Mississippi town, and Loden was executed recently as a result. But what I'm saying is that the whole thing seems kind of par for the course in the world of crime. Like, not a whole lot to see as an outside observer. In fact, it just leaves me, probably you, feeling kind of depressed what you heard so far. You've heard it before. Rape and murder. Those are two words we hear all the time. But I, for one, think it's important to understand the details of each rape and murder. They're afraid to give them to you because they think saying rape is bad enough. And murder is bad enough. <laughs> and it is. Pretty fucking bad, right? But the details. Sure, this guy is remorseful. He said he was sorry. By carving it into his chest. He said he was sorry. By carving it into his chest, for Christ's sake. But I gotta know. What did he do? He raped and murdered? Check. I get it. I mean, what exactly 
did he do? I took one last deep dive underground and I finally found what I was looking for. It took me hours. I just should have known about this beforehand. It was case text. And I just came across this. So shout out to case text. It's in the show notes. The most important part in any case is often hidden from us in the details. And I found it. I came face to face with the devil in the details. All right, everybody, Zipix toothpicks. This is something that I use all the time. So this episode is brought to you by Zipix nicotine toothpicks. Zipix brings you a totally satisfying, convenient, and great tasting way to curb your nicotine cravings. Now you can get your nicotine fix anytime, anywhere without having to rely on smoking or vaping. Zipix toothpicks give you an easier, better, and more discreet way to get your fix. They're available in six great long-lasting flavors, and they have options in 2 milligrams and 3 milligrams of nicotine. Zipix are perfect for flights, sporting events, restaurants, podcasting, uh, literally anywhere that you smoke or vape where that's banned. They're also one of the most cost-effective nicotine products on the market. Zipix also offers caffeine and B12 infused toothpicks if you're not a nicotine user or if you're trying to get away from your nicotine habit. Zipix have already helped tens of thousands of customers, including myself, to get their nicotine fix without needing to inhale smoke or vape oils. Make your lungs happy and try Zipix nicotine infused toothpicks. So ditch the cigarettes, ditch the vape, and get some nicotine infused toothpicks at zipixtoothpicks.com today. Get 10% off your first order by using the code DARKTOPIC at checkout. Your lungs will be glad you did. Must be 21 years of age or older to order. Warning, nicotine is an addictive chemical. Zip more, smoke less with Zipix nicotine toothpicks. All right, everybody, Badlands food. I've been thinking about getting a dog with my little family, we're about to introduce a dog, I believe, at some point here. And I have an interest in how we're going to be treating said dog. And it occurs to me, you know, that many dogs suffer from health issues. And with Badlands Food, actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health. She's looking at their food. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that by just adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone could do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. It caught my attention, and as I'm about to uh, get a dog, I think that I'm going to uh, use this service, so I thought I'd share it with the audience as well. Uh, I know many of you have dogs. If you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to badlandsfood.com slash darktopic and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D.com slash darktopic to check it out. Badlands Food. Dot com. Back to June 22nd of 2000. Now we'll do a hyper-intensive research version of what went down here. We're at 1 p.m. on this day. We're at Commerce Restaurant in Dorsey, Loden's home stomping grounds. 
Thomas Loden is eating a lunch of crow. He's not happy, but he's cheering up a bit with the service he's getting from 16-year-old waitress Lisa Marie Gray, who is a part of this restaurant's family. Literally, she's related to the owners. Because Lisa is so well-liked here at Commerce, she has quite a few patrons and fellow employees to look out for. And they notice Loden flirting with the young woman between bites of his lunch. He's a big guy, he's in his mid-30s, she's 16, and he's making her uncomfortable. They notice this. Now, I said he was eating crow, but it was a cheeseburger. What I need to tell you is that Loden had been drinking quite a bit this day, and will continue once he leaves Commerce after this lunch he's having. And the reason why he's eating crow is because he's just had an argument with his wife the previous night. It turns out all is in a happy little marriage and family at home for the Marine, as I initially had interpreted it. His ability to be a decent father to his young daughter has come into question after his wife had discovered the type of porn he was watching. It's kiddie porn. And back in 2000, you could search it up pretty quick, then just delete the history. So I've been told, I should add. And it appears Loden forgot the last part, deleting the history. Even though he'd said he was sorry about looking at little kids getting banged by fucking older dudes, like, geez, at least I'm not molesting my daughter. I'm just like looking at people molesting their daughters. Give a guy some credit here. It seems his wife hasn't been too pleased lately, you know, as a result. And last night, uh, that would be June 21st, she'd threatened to go out and screw one of her co-workers at a law firm she worked at. So it sounds like to me, this is a bit of a fucked up situation, a bit of a fucked up relationship and family. It also sounds like maybe Loden was cheating on his wife besides looking at child porn, and that maybe she thought he was using these trips to grandma's as a cover to pick up chicks. So anyways, after being spotted, attempting to flirt with Lisa, Loden goes out drinking, Lisa being the waitress here, right? And just before closing at Commer's restaurant at around 10 p.m., he returns to the restaurant and orders another cheeseburger. He's hammered. He's been drinking bourbon all day and he again chats up the 16-year-old waitress. Then he stumbles out of the restaurant before it closes. At 10.45 p.m., 15 minutes after the restaurant closes, Loden just happens to come across Lisa on the side of the road nearby with a flat tire. Now that we have all the information, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Are you thinking what has not been shared? in any of the news outlets that I read their articles from. Are you gleaning what I'm gleaning from this? I think he slashed your tire or loosened the lug nuts, then waited for a shift to end. He was flirting with her all day. He's hammered. He's a bit of a fucking weirdo. And he set her up to have this breakdown beside the road, not far from the restaurant. Loden comes fucking creeping in with his green Ford kidnapper van parks, lays the lights on her, and swoops in to save the day. I also believe, before we go further, that Lisa, seeing him come up, she's annoyed to behold this bourbon-breathed creep again. She'd been harassed by him twice already. Now he's strutting up like he's Captain America, like, uh, don't worry, ma'am, 
I'm a Marine. We navigate these types of maneuvers consistently whilst out on the field of battle. Step aside, young lady. Yes, yes, it's true. I'm happy to see you, but also that is a tire iron in my pants. So funny of you to say so, but, you know, this fucking shit. He gets to work. But when Lisa gives him attitude about the possibility of becoming a Marine herself, saying it's the last thing she'd ever considered doing, Loden does what he was going to do no matter what. He forces her into the back of his van. Previously, he said, when she said that, it unlocked something in him. He was pissed because brothers of his had died in the Marines. And for her to disrespect it, he just went red. His, he couldn't fucking see. He didn't even know what the fuck had happened until he'd left her in the van. He didn't even know she was dead four hours later. But, you know, that's... Take a real close look now at what this fucking guy is so sorry about later. Here's what really happens. He grabs the girl, throws her in the back of the van, restrains her, then speeds back to the farm. It's dark, quiet, private. His grandmother, she's out of it. They won't be disturbed. Loden brings out a camcorder and films what's going on at intervals throughout a four-hour rape and torture session. I'm going to recite straight from the transcript I have from court records. I'll warn you, it's a lot more than what I first detailed to you. A lot fucking more. Quote. The videotape depicts Lisa Marie Gray being forced to engage in fellatio on Loden. Loden vaginally raping her, Loden demonstrating vaginal and anal penetration of Lisa with his fingers and the repeated vaginal insertion of a cucumber. Loden can be heard instructing Lisa to smile for the camera so that he can see her braces. And after he subjects her to a digital vaginal penetration, he comments, quote, You really were a virgin, weren't you? There is a break in the videotape and then the footage depicts Loden twisting the breast of an unconscious Lisa in an apparent attempt to bring her back to consciousness. Another break in the continuity of the video occurs, and when videotape footage reappears, the apparently murdered body of Lisa is seen propped up and posed in the van with a cucumber inserted in her vagina, which Loden removes and reinserts several times before the videotape finally stops. End quote. Jesus fucking Christ. That's a little different, no? After all this, Loden crams Lisa's body under a fold-out seat of the van, then heads inside to his grandma's house to go to sleep. The next day, authorities come to question him at his grandma's farmhouse. He was uh, spotted flirting with the girl at Cummer's restaurant, so some had suspected he might be with her, not raping and murdering her, but maybe he had dated her, you know, brought her home. Year 2000, small town Mississippi, 35-year-old with a 16-year-old isn't entirely out of the question. Lisa's car had been found on the roadside near the restaurant. It's propped on a jack with the hazards on, left the way it was when he decided to do this thing. I think that he thought he had a shot. I think he thought that he could have impressed her at this point and when it when she gave him attitude she was fucking sick of him saying marines it's the last thing i want to fucking do with my life he completely lost it 
Loden's grandma thinks Thomas went fishing when the cops come to see him the next day. In reality, he's out getting bombed again, and he ends up on the side of a road with the words, I'm sorry, bleeding from superficial wounds on his chest. The cuts on his wrists are also half-hearted. In custody, the Marine recruiter denies knowing what happened to Lisa, but when his van is searched and her naked corpse is discovered, he changes his tune slightly. He admits to intercourse, but has no idea how she died. And now you know, the videotape does the rest, obviously. And Loden goes on to begin performing a good deed every day until his execution. I don't think I need to go through the court thing. I mean, he gave up all his rights. He said, fucking throw me away. Um, He refused to fight it. At the trial, I, I initially explained that. And now we're talking about him going to prison for the rest of his life, waiting for an execution. And while he's waiting to be executed over 20 fucking years, he... Um, actually appeals his (laughs) his sentence exhaustively despite initially claiming he wanted justice to move swiftly for the family so anyways I just thought people like the lady up front of the prison protesting Loden's execution recently might want to know a little more of that maybe she didn't know I mean if she knew that if she knew all those fucking details which I won't repeat you're still standing up there saying he said he was sorry You know, he was abused as a child. It was a moment of weakness. You're still fucking saying that? And since then, he's been doing a good deed every day. Give me a fucking break. Sure, he said he was sorry. But I'll implement a completely overused quote here on my way out. Quote, The biggest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. End quote. And for me, the only true way to tell if someone is truly sorry is to put them in the exact same situation again and see how they perform. And obviously, we wouldn't get that opportunity with them, but had he had that opportunity, what do you think would fucking happen? And here's the thing about being sorry. Usually, it's only because you got caught. When allowed to continue, like, say, Loden were given a few more years free after this, like, would he repeat it? What do you think? Would he do it again? Is there anything in that second rendition of this story that tells you he might have been a calculated cold-blooded devil as opposed to a screwed up man who had a moment where he fucking lost it for four hours videotaped and raped a girl with a fucking cucumber along with himself you know i know how i feel about this and in my opinion i think he should have been choked to death with a prize-winning cucumber after having been sodomized with it but that's just me that's just me and for that Truly, sincerely, I'm sorry. And that'll do it. I'm doing good, feeling the flow. Uh, fuck, that was, you know, another one. Another fucked up one. I love doing that, though. I, I hope you enjoyed that, that approach. The thing is, as I said multiple times there, it always gets me when someone says, yeah, raped and murdered. Uh, You don't really need to know any more than that. People don't say that so much. It's like, that's what you get through the press. They are above it. 
they don't want to put the family through it anymore or whatever. And, and I, I get that too, but I think you need to know. I think you need to know that he fucking videotaped it and used a cucumber on her like that and thought it was funny, right? He was going to use that later to like jerk off to. Four hours of rape? That's not just a normal rape and murder. That's torture. That talking about her braces and commenting on her, yeah, you are a virgin. Like, what the fuck, dude? Kill him. Kill him. But some people disagree. Anyways, I'm doing good, feeling the flow. Uh, like I said earlier, why do I keep saying feeling the flow? I got some shitty feedback, but hey. Like an old Marine once told me, if they're shooting at you, you're doing something right. I got, I got some shout-outs here from the $25 tier of Patreon. Terry, thank you. Michael B., thank you. Hope Cherie, I think I've seen, Hope's been here a few times. I think people come and they go and they keep coming back, but thank you, Hope. And Monique Schultz, thank you. And Colin Ryan, I know you, man. Thank you. Thank you, Colin Ryan. What else? Uh, please rate and review the podcast. Um, people really have been rating and reviewing it. It helps a lot, even though sometimes it's like fucking... Some bullshit that I get. It's all good. As long as it's honest, it's how you feel. Except for the lady who said that I, I should stop smoking crack or something and that I'm talking too fast. I think you click the button that makes it go one and a half speed or two speed. That's what happened to podcasters. Like people easily click that and then they start reviewing, like saying you're talking too fast. And check your fucking shit. And, and, it, and, if, and if you did hit me at double speed, can you change your review? Because Christ, I mean, I don't need people calling me a crackhead. Just because I mentioned crack, you know, I was one. I wasn't even one. I smoked fucking crack. I smoked crack, like, on the weekends after working. I'm not, like, on the street fucking pimping my kids off like you'll fucking make it sound. Anyways, I've been reading a lot, trying to stay out of trouble. But, you know, um, man, this feedback I get. I I'm not going to stop sharing about myself, but Jesus, some of you completely missed the point. I get called like a crackhead. I get told I'm a bad father. It's like, shit, did you think I bring my kids with me back to 2008 and smoke crack with my kids who are like <laughs> not even born yet? <sighs> Dude, this is my dark place, dark topic by design. So don't worry about me, please. I go inside after this. I hang with my family. I read books. We make dinner. Nothing affects them. I'm very careful about that. And I'm also very careful to make sure that I am as, uh, as honest as I possibly can be when I, when I do this podcast so that maybe I can convey to somebody who needs it that not being perfect is okay. You know? Anyways, that said, I get a lot of positive response. So thank you for that too. Um, I've been reading. I've been reading uh, quite a bit lately, and I've done this before, and people seem to enjoy it. So I'm going to make some book recommendations. Um, so what I'm currently reading, I'm reading John Saul. He has a book called Darkness. It's from a while back. I got, I picked it up from a secondhand store, and it's so good. Um, what I love about it, I mean, it's just just reading from a book. You know, instead of an audio book or reading off your phone, reading from an actual old, one of these old books. I recommend that above anything when it comes to John Saul's book, I guess. The, the writing is really small. I feel like it really works your eyes, and you have to like get it completely absorbed by the book itself. But John Saul is one of the first authors that I read when I was a child, a child, when I was a young teenager. And um, Saul, 
he's pretty good. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't say he's the best. I thought he was one of the top fucking authors. And I, anybody I mentioned him to, nobody seems to know who I'm talking about. John Saul. You know, when you, you get into something and you think it's everything and then you start talking to people about it, it's like, no, not everybody's into what you're into. Anyways, I highly recommend any John Saul book. And the one I'm reading is Darkness. The second one, which I can give a much better recommendation for because um, he has a more storied career in my mind when it, uh, when it comes to to um, his authorship. Holy fuck, I'm starting to sound like that douchebag from the, from the story walking up with the Marine. Oh, you know, this is the type of thing that we did whilst uh, marauding around the back uh, d- deserted areas of Afghanistan while being a member of the Marines. Anyways, you want me to change your tire? Oh, the Robert R. McCammon book, Swan Song. It's what I'm currently reading. It's really cool because it's at the end. um, Sorry, it's at the beginning of like an apocalypse, it sounds like. And it's also kind of dated. So you have the president back then trying to hold off. I'm pressing the button and there's all this technology that is super dated. And the people on the street are having their lingo that's super dated. But it's very well written. It's kind of going into a time machine about how people felt like an apocalyptic event could happen as a result of improper politics and policies and stuff. The kind of the world world that's going on around us right now where we have no control over it. We've got these fucking morons making decisions that we don't really understand how they're coming to the fucking conclusions they're coming to. It's it's about 40 years ago with that and uh, really well written in Swan Song. It makes you feel a little bit better about what's going on in the world because if an author like Robert R. McCammon was that worried about something happening back then, which would be just past the time of the Cold War and everything was okay, maybe we're going to be okay too. I found it very comforting. Robert R. McCammon, Swan Song. And I just finished reading Night Things by Michael Talbot. Um, he um, He died of AIDS when he was 38 years old. And Michael Talbot has always been a big, big, um, I wouldn't say inspiration, but he held a lot of sway for me because it was like he was old when he was 30. And it's almost like he knew it. Um, I guess as soon as he got AIDS back then, you would have known you probably only had a few years, right? And he pours his heart into the horror uh, fiction of this book. He did not He did not die of AIDS. I'm sorry. I have to step in here on my edit. He, he died of leukemia. Very ignorant of me. I always had it in my mind he died of AIDS because he was gay back in that time. Fucking huge party foul there. Uh, I, I sincerely apologize. It, it was it was leukemia. Fuck, I love this author too. I really fucked that up. Huge apology out into the ether. It was uh, it was leukemia. My bad. Called night things. By Michael Talbot, highly recommend it. And um, one more, sorry, my my favorite uh, recently, I've been reading a lot, is uh, The Man Eater of Kumeon. That's K-U-M-A-O-N, The Man Eater of Kumeon by Jim Corbett. It is about, Jim Corbett was, I guess he was in World War One, and he ended up staying in India and he ended up becoming a hired man to kill man-eating tigers in small little villages in India. And it's his journals, but they've been repurposed into like novel form. 
And he talks about all of his adventures and all the tigers that he killed and all the people that were killed by these tigers and his interactions with them and all that. And it is so fucking well done. It's, I read this to my family and even my uh, five-year-old, Charlie, he would be like, hey, can we read the tiger book? Uh, it, although it's for adults, totally. The Man-Eater Kumia by Jim Corbett and anything by Jim Corbett. Uh, C-O-R-B-E-T-T, I highly recommend. Uh, anyways. Other than all that, I'm just working, uh, doing the podcast, enjoying myself and my family, and I'm just thankful. So thankful for you listening and uh, making this possible for me, and I'll be back really soon. Until next time, eyes cocked, doors locked. Stay paranoid.